slap me if you think it's crazy, but I think I want to start my own publishing house. Because we've all been there, because we've all felt that angst of just waiting for somebody to say yes. Hello, and welcome to History Through Fiction, the podcast. I'm Colin Mustful, host of the program, and today I am so excited to be joined by Sue Arroyo, an entrepreneur and the founder of CamCat Books. It's not because it went through, um, I wish. Stephen King, if you're listening, I wish you would send me your next novella, and I'll be happy to publish it, but it's not because CamCat Books was on the, the cover. Sue Arroyo loves books. Growing up, she was a bookworm who lived and breathed stories. Now she has brought that love to the publishing industry. In 2019, she founded CamCat Books, a company she launched for the love of story. Those tales that bewitch and dazzle you, grab hold of you and won't let you go. She calls them books to live in. A self-proclaimed entrepreneur, CamCat Books is Arroyo's seventh company. Arroyo brings a fresh perspective to publishing, a strong desire to establish long-term relationships with both authors and readers, and a passion for a great story. I, I want to start with your love of books. Uh, tell me about uh, the books you read growing up and, and what about them captivated you so much? Well, I, I want to say that my, my love of books started with Nancy Drew. And my... Um, mom was an avid garage sailor. So, and she would drag us along to all, all the garage sales. And one day we found a trove of Nancy uh, Drew books and she bought them. And we, I, I want to say we bought them for like 25 cents a piece, like a quarter a piece. And, but it was amazing. And I couldn't stop. And at the time in the mid seventies, the Nancy Drew series had a hundred or so titles out. So then mom made it her mission that we would go out every Saturday morning and we would go and go garage selling to find more Nancy Drews. And um, I read them all. I, I, um, and, and it just kept on going from there. I just couldn't get enough of being in somebody else's story. I couldn't get enough of it. Uh, I got a library card. I would check out six, seven books a week and, and, and go through them. I devoured them. I read Gone with the Wind in a day. Wow. Um, and that was what, 1,400 pages? I'm, I'm guessing. Uh, the, the version I had was 1,400 pages and I read it in a day. I couldn't stop. My mom couldn't get me out of the house. She actually had to kick me out of the house to go play with kids because I, I was always having my nose in a book. 
So do you find that it's kind of a, a habit that you have to push aside a little bit? Does it get in the way of, a, of accomplishing other things? Well, it, a, a, as a publisher now, um, which is, is, is a part of, of the reality of book the book world that I never thought I was going to be in, but as a publisher now, um, I, I spend so much time with manuscripts that I find that I don't want to be in a book as much as I used to be. Mm -hmm. So I don't read six or seven books a week. I might read one book a week. Um, that's, you know, a done book. I read a lot of submissions. I, I read a lot of um, intermediary products, uh, books that are in transition, still going through editorial and, and stuff. But um, now, now I'm, I'm a little bit more picky about what I read and it has to be something that's going to bring me enjoyment. If I don't like it, uh, if, if it doesn't capture me in the first five, 10 pages, then, uh, I'm done with it. I move on to the next thing. Life's too short. I completely understand. I, I find that I have a hard time turning off my, you know, when I'm just sitting down to enjoy a novel, it's mm -hmm. hard to stop thinking about you know, sentence structure and plot and those craft elements. Do you have that, that issue too? I do. And I, there was, um, a, a film producer and I want to say it was Quentin Tarantino, but I'm probably wrong. So, so just, you know, put that in the notes. I'm probably wrong on this, but I want to say it was Quentin Tarantino that, that he couldn't sit down in, in the movies and watch a movie anymore because he was just looking for all the things that were wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's what I find myself doing um, with a lot of the, the newer fiction that comes out. And I read mostly fiction. I don't read a lot of nonfiction anymore because, hey, again, life's too short and <laughs> life's depressing enough. I don't need to really read about other people's depressing stories. Uh, so I'd rather hear read stuff that makes me happy. Um, but, yeah, it's a struggle right now. Right now, uh, being in the pandemic, um, uh, to, to stay focused and also just not to look at a piece of work and, and pick it apart for the structural issues. Sure. I just want to enjoy the story. I really do. So it's, it's really a, a switching off of some gears in my mind and just saying, Hey, just have fun with this book. Well, let's talk about that publishing company, CamCat Books. I'm really curious about the path you took to become a publisher. I think I read that you you started seven companies now. Uh -huh. uh, how did you go from being a lover of books as a kid to now having your own publishing company? Well, that that's kind of a funny and a bittersweet story. Um, when I was 18 or 19, I mean, um, I started college early. I was one of those... Um, nerds that could get early admissions. So I was in college at the age of 16. And so it, when I say it was at the age of 18 or 19, I was already a freshman. I mean, so, I'm sorry, a junior or a senior in college. And I go to my daddy and I say, I'm going to do a career in publishing. And he looked at me and the, the girls, the women in your audience, know this look and he gave me this look he gave me looks like honey you know you're not going to do anywhere you're not going to go anywhere you're not going to do anything in publishing so why don't we talk about other career choices all the women in your audience know this because the, most of them have had this discussion with their dads 
and bless his heart he he was a great he was a great man but he just recognized that there was no money to be made there was no no future be, to be made in the early 80s in publishing for women he understood that uh, so i went to software engineering instead that was that was my other side of of college but i never lost the love of writing and I never lost the love of books. And even as a 20-something, a, a one of three women on a floor of 97 male engineers, software engineers, I was still working on my stuff at night. Um, I, I never, ever lost it. Um, but uh, over time, uh, natural progression, I uh, started my first company was a software development services company. Um, I had no idea how to run a business. So that was a horrible mistake. Well, horrible mistake, but I learned from it. It was a failure. Uh, the second one, again, I was trying to provide software engineering services at a time when the, the companies out of India were making a lot of inroads into the US market and I couldn't compete on price. Um, and finally uh, hooked up with a, someone who did actually know something about business. And he said, okay, here's what we're gonna do. Here's a plan. And we follow the plan. And that third one, that third business uh, started off as Arroyo Technology Solutions, which is, it's really bad by the way, for anybody who's listening, it's really bad to name your company after yourself. But yeah, I, I named that company after myself and we had some some points, some marketing points that were, were not good. Um, and so that one wasn't too well, but then we started Trident and that was my fourth. And Trident Technologies, we started, we, we looked at the, um, the opportunities for women-owned business in the defense contracting space. And I had a lot of software engineering background, so we marketed to that. However, we did that in 2007, 2008. And then came the financial crisis and really, really knocked us, knocked us on our heels. Really, really bad. I had to lay off the entire team except for one person one afternoon in January of 2009. It was one of the most horrific days of my career. I never want to do it again. And it has, it has certainly shaped my decisions since then. Um, I don't want to tell a room full of people that I have to lay you off. I don't ever want to do that again. So I'm a little bit more conservative with my business decisions. Um, but we, we persevered, we kept on going. And um, in, in 2009, we had two people. In 2012, we had four people. And in 2015, we had 200 people. Wow. And we, um, we were on the, uh, the, the Inc. 5000, uh, the Inc. 1000 list for fastest growing companies. We were number one in Alabama. We were number 51 in the country. So we, we really worked hard and, and those are hard lessons learned.
but I don't think we could have done it if I hadn't learned from the failures of the first three. Does that make sense? Sorry. It, it does. No, that's, that's incredible. Um, sounds like you're pushing boundaries and whatever you're doing and taking risks and, and learning along the way. I feel like you should be on how I built this, uh, the NPR program. <laughs> it's all about the team. Um, my team was incredible. My partners were incredible. So I don't take credit for it all by myself, but yeah, we did that. We came from having to lay off everybody um, in 2009 to being on the Inc. Uh, 1000 list in 2015. So I, I, I do consider that an accomplishment. So you talked about the moment you, you told your dad that you wanted to go into publishing and he gave you that look. Uh, look. What, what happened? Did you get any similar looks when you said, I'm going to sell my interest in this successful company that I worked so hard to build and go into publishing? Well, the, the, the best kept secret of Trident in those years was that when Sue wasn't on her laptop sending emails off to everybody else, Sue was working on her novel. Um, it, it was a horribly kept secret. Everybody knew about it, um, but they all knew that was my passion. That was my love. Um, but we had a we had a um, a ten year plan. We had an exit strategy, and so um, even though my business partners and I knew what we were doing, not everybody knew the details of it. But I mean, nobody was surprised when I exited and I said, I'm starting a publishing company, by the way, sign up for our mailing list and I'll get you books. Um, nobody was really surprised, surprised because they knew that on, on snowy days or rainy days that I was not um, typing emails to Trident. I was typing in my word processor on my own novel. So they, they knew it. It was okay. Sure. So tell us, tell us what is CamCat Books? Oh gosh, uh, CamCat Books, um, let me step back a bit. Um, I didn't think I was gonna do it. I actually thought, um, I, I tried the traditional publishing route. Um, I tried getting an agent. I have the 47 versions of my query letter that were perfectly in line with everything I could find out about a particular agent's needs and wants. I didn't realize at the time that <laughs> my stuff was bad. <laughs> um, um, it's better now, but I didn't realize at the time that it, it was not uh, submit submission ready is, mm -hmm. is probably the word I want to use. Um, but I still, I submitted. And after 47 rejections, Actually, there were more more rejections, but let's just go with that number. 47 rejections. I started listening to some self-publishing podcast people. I said, hey, you know, I'm a business person. I know how to run a business. I can do this myself. I don't need a publishing house to accept me. I can get my book on the shelf. And I was thinking about that. I was wavering about it. I was like, do I do it? Do I keep on trying? And then uh, one night, one Saturday night, I had a dinner with friends in town and in town at the time was Huntsville, Alabama. And I decided to stop at the Barnes and Noble on my way home to get something to read. 
So I picked up a book. And so I bought it at Barnes and Noble and I take it home and it was fantastic. It was fantastic. I couldn't stop reading it. And I'm, I'm on page 130 or 131, whatever. And I flip to the next page and it was page 182. There are 50 pages missing from a book that I bought at Barnes and Noble. And okay. I said to myself, hey, if, and it was from a, a major imprint from a big five at the time, it was big five. It was from a big five imprint. And I said to myself, so, hey, I can screw up at least this bad. So why don't we see what, if we can do it better? And I've been working with an editor um, who used to be, who used to work for the big five, but then she moved, she moved out West. So there's no telling, but um, I've been working with her. So I called her the next day. I said, Helga, I got an idea and, and slap me if you think it's crazy, but I think I want to start my own publishing house. And I told her the story about the book and she's like, okay, great. When do we start? And, and that's how it became an idea. And that's how we, we decided to start it. It was basically because I found a book in a brick and mortar store that was missing 50 pages. I've, I've, yeah, I've never had that happen. I have had certainly come across some bad books, but never missing 50 pages. 50 pages. I figure I can do at least that bad. So I said, let's try this. I've got business sense. Um, you've got editing sense, you've got a sense of the marketplace and you got a sense of what readers want. Let's see if we can make this happen. So we across the country virtually shook hands. Cause I was actually, when I called her, I was at my car dealership, get my tires changed. Um, and that, that's it. That's, that's the story of CanCat. That's how we started, but we attracted some really quality people. We were able to get some really great people on our team. I think I've got the best team in the business, to be honest. I know, I know, honey, I'm sorry. You're, you're a, a competing publisher and, and you probably think you've got the best team. So I'll say that I've got the next best team to Collins. Okay. Well, I don't, I don't want to take anything away from you. <laughs> Well, you you talked about your, your your own writing, and that made me curious. You didn't tell us what your what your book is about, and where are you now with that manuscript? Are you reaching out to publishers again? Are you going through your own company to publish it? What do you what is the book first of all? Uh, my book is a historical murder mystery. When you approached me, I was very intrigued because um, at one point in life. I actually was in a graduate program at the University of Alabama in Birmingham in the history department. I love history. I love, I love other people's stories. I absolutely adore them. And so my own book is a historical murder mystery, actually two, two murders back in history that, that modern people are trying to solve. I'm also curious is where you are with that now, because you said, when you started out, you didn't realize that your writing wasn't up to par. 
Um, but I'm sure after going through so many manuscripts and working with editors, you have a better understanding. So where are you at with it now? Let me just share, uh, and I can share this. Uh, I'm comfortable sharing this. Um, I, I was still very ambivalent about whether or not my, my stuff was good enough to present to my own team. Mm-hmm. And so we had a meeting about it and we decided that, um, our team members can submit a manuscript through our submissions process. And if you go through submittable.com, if you look at our submissions form, it's, it's not trivial. <laughs> it's, it's pretty extensive. And, um, but submit under a pen name. And if you get accepted and we find out it's you, you're going to be raked over the coals like nobody else in the company is going to be raked over the coals. We're going to be harder on anybody that submits from in-house than we would be on any other author. And we all agreed to it. It was a unanimous decision. And so um, I'm still actually working on my submission because I know that this team is going to be looking at it harder than anything else that we look at. Um, But if, if, if I get past our submissions team, um, then we will publish it. They also know that I'm perfectly okay with if they turn it down. Sure. And then I'll and then I'll probably go through a self publishing route, or I might send it to you because you you deal with historical stuff, and it might be might be up your speed. Never know. But it, um, yeah, it sounds very interesting and. Just, just the fact that you've you've already been through some of the ups and downs of the writing process, you know, that kind of puts you ahead of a lot of authors who are still just finding out how difficult it is. Well, one thing I will say about our house is that almost everybody on the team has been on the other side of the table. Mm-hmm. So we really, really understand what it's like when you submit something and then you don't hear something for weeks. Or months or ever. Or months or ever. Um, I can tell you uh, my 47 query letters, uh, the last rejection that I got was two years to the day after I submitted it. Wow. And it's oh. rough. And it's rough. And let me, let me just say something uh, about this process. The agents, for, for their own reasons and their good reasons, have distilled this process down to a one page query letter. You get past the query letter. If they like a query letter, they might ask for a synopsis. They might ask for some sample chapters and it's a back and forth thing. And that's just the most ridiculous waste of time, I think. Mm -hmm. So in our submissions process, we, the reason why we have 50 questions is because we ask for everything we could ever ask including the synopsis, including the full manuscript. When you submit to us, you have to submit the full manuscript Um, because I just don't want to waste time. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to, I don't want to, because we've all been there, because we've all felt that angst of just waiting for somebody to say yes, um, we don't want to do it either. So we want to have all the information right there that we need. To, to make a decision whether it's a go or a no-go or maybe. Uh, we want all that information there. We don't want people to waste time. So we don't take query letters. I don't want authors 
wasting time. Now I've been on many panels at writers conferences with agents that are like, Hey, but we want the query letter. And I'm saying it's a stupid thing. I, I just don't like query letters, but that's because I've been on that side of the table. And so has almost everybody on the team. Well, I have to admit, I was, I was very impressed looking at your submission guidelines and that, that you offer tools for writers, for submitters to, to not make some mistakes, some common mistakes. You give them links to education, to information about how to, to format their work and, and how and when to submit it. And then of course the, the questions you put them through on submittable, um, I think that's great. I think that really helps streamline the process. Well, um, in, in the old days, people would have said it's all about the story. And then it was up to the agent and the publicist and the marketing team at the publisher to promote it. But that's not the way readers buy anymore. Readers go, most readers go on Amazon mm -hmm. and they go and they search and they might find a book. Now they're, they're not going to scroll to the bottom to see who published it care nobody um and this is something i say all the time at conferences and all um nobody finishes a book and goes oh wow that was so good let me look at the publisher camp cat books let me go to camp cat books website and to find my next read no they don't care the the way to connecting to the readers is so different than it was even three years ago but I'll, I'll be generous and say five years ago, the way to connect to the readers is so different. The readers don't care who the publisher is. The publisher is nothing more than the manufacturer of the physical product. As far as the readers are concerned, they don't care. They want to know about the authors. They might have some connection to the editor, um, but that's that's more rare. But they're 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 going to connect to the authors. If, if you're a fan of Stephen King and he puts out a novella on Amazon and sends a link, chances are you're going to buy it. It's not because it went through, um, I wish, Stephen King, if you're listening, I wish you would send me your next novella and I'll be happy to publish it. But it's not because Camp Cat Books was on the, the cover. So um, what we look for and, and why we ask so many questions is we want to know how much connection the author has to his or her reader community. All those, all those questions are all about, do you know who your readers are? Do you know where they are found? Have you started building your platform? And let me just say this, I'm on, I'm on panels with agents at at virtual conferences all the time and the agents are all still like if you're a fiction author you don't have to have a platform and i say bull and i've got numbers to prove it i've got two really really good books i would say they were the quality of the writing and the the attraction to librarians and such um is is even one gal spends all her time working her platform. The other one doesn't. The one gal who spends working her platform sells 
20 times units a week as the one who doesn't. So knowing and identifying who your readers are and figuring that out and figuring out how to connect to them is so, so important. And that makes it attractive to me. So when I look at, at submissions, I'm making a business decision. I'm weighing, okay, how much editorial work is this going to take? What is the target audience? And where is that author in that space? It yeah, might... Definitely, those are all great questions. I So I asked them and we, we use those questions, we use those answers in our evaluations because it's not just about how great the book is. If the author has no platform, if the author has no connection at all to the people who might want to buy it, the author is in trouble. Why? People aren't going into bookstores. Now that some bookstores have reopened and in my town, my hometown, the Barnes and Noble was closed for seven months. Um, so people didn't have the chance to walk in and ask, and they got trained to go to Amazon and search for the stuff that they like. And people in industry, you know, want to use Amazon as a dirty word, but here's what people, here's how people buy. They go to Amazon first. Mm-hmm. So let's, what I tell my authors is let's figure out how to be friendly on Amazon, but I also want them to be connecting to readers uh, uh, but via their platform. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I totally agree. Um, but I'd like to move a little bit beyond platform and may, maybe once they've, they've established their platform and author and found their audience, you talk a lot about books to live in. So, so we've, we found our audience. Um, now we're writing a book for them or, or, or really just a story that we want to share but tell me about that connection between the author and the reader and how they can both establish what you call this books to live in. Well, that actually um, makes me circle back and contradict a little bit what I've been saying, but books to live in to me are the books that you don't necessarily, when you're done, you donate them to the library. These are the books that you keep and you might reread more than one time. I mean, for me, obviously the Lord of the Rings trilogy, I've got them in leather bound for crying out loud. I read, I reread them at least once a year, but there's some paperbacks that I have. Um, I mean, I have a romance novel that I read when I was a teenager or maybe twenties. All right, I'm, I'm dating myself and, and that's not a good thing. Um, but there's something that I read in the 80s that I still have. And, and the spine is so cracked, you can't make out the title because I've read it so many times. Um, and, and, and those are the comfort books. Those are the books that you want to return to over and over again. And when, when you're feeling bad or, or you, just, you just want a little love, you pick up one of the books that you know makes you happy or, or gives you the emotion that you want. So that's what I was aiming for 
with books to live in. So there's a, a picture somewhere. There's a photo. It was on our old website. I'm not sure if it's on our new website, but I have a stack of my books to live in and you can't make out the titles um, from the spines because I read them to death. And actually one of them is falling apart and I, I stuck it in a drawer with a note with a post-it to my kids. I'm like, if you find this, you know, treat it gently because this is one of my books to live in. Um, but that those are the kind of books that I like. Now, some people don't reread things and I get it. I, I, I completely get that, that you don't like to reread, but I know that if I want to get into a safe, comfortable place that I have a stack of books that I can live in, that, that I can go pull and I can reread the story and I might, you know, pass through a few pages and, and that's okay. Um, but, uh, these books brought me pleasure, joy, comfort over the years. And so that's what we're aiming for with CamCat. Now, uh, uh, arguably we might not get there, but I, th I think we've done a good job with, with most of our books so far. Well, it's, it's an excellent goal and it, it's definitely something we all need, especially right now. Well, this, this has been very interesting and I feel like we could talk for quite a while, but I don't want to take up too much of your time. I will ask though, before we go, uh, about where, where you're at and where do you see yourself going? CampCat is relatively new and then we got struck with this pandemic, uh, you know, right from the start here. Um, <laughs> we've all been forced to shift and change, uh, and now have a new outlook on things. So, so where do you see your company going from, from here? Um, it's funny that you say that because I was having a, a conversation on that just earlier today. Yeah. What's, who's the crazy person that launches a press in the middle of a pandemic? I mean, we literally published our first title in June, uh, of 2020 in the middle of a pandemic. Um, who's the nut job that does that? It, it just, it takes time. It takes time to get a book to press. There are so many steps. And actually one of the mistakes that I made coming into the business was thinking that we could short tail it. And, and, and we really can't. And the, and the reason is um, the, the need for reviews. So we, could, we can compress the, the editorial and production cycles as much as we can, but we still need to give four to six months for marketing and reviews. So, um, what, what we have done and, uh, our, our commitment to our authors are currently signed to authors is that we are, we're in business through the end of this year, at least. And I'm working, I'm, I'm working really hard. I'm making moves to make sure that we are in business through at least 2023 without any infusion of capital, because when, whenever press has to go and get money, it's a horrible thing. Um, so I'm, I'm working hard on that particular issue. We are actively seeking submissions. Um, we are always open for submissions. Uh, we, we never, we never have a closed window, uh, as some other presses do. We are actively always seeking submissions where right now we're 
we're into 2022 with pub dates. So if you, if you submit something to us now, um, it might be 2022, it might be even 2023 um, that we're pushing out to, but we're working on making that happen. And um, otherwise, you know, pandemic, this, this is my, this, this is my last job. So I'm not giving up on it and I'm not retiring. I'm in my fifties. Yeah. I'm, I'm dating myself again. Okay. But y'all knew that because I was uh, talking about being a kid in the mid seventies. All right. But I'm in my mid fifties. This is my last job. I'm not doing another job. So I'm completely committed. We have 42 I want to say 42, that number might be a little off. We have 42 signed authors and a whole bunch of them are working on their sequels. So that's exciting. And we read submissions every day. Well, I think no matter what comes at, you know, after hearing your passion and your experience, both in the book publishing industry and outside of it, I would definitely feel confident as an author to move forward uh, with CamCat books. Yeah, please, please um, feel free to to submit. Uh, we look at all aspects of an author and their book because it's the author and the book have have to make a connection with the reader. So we look at it. Um, if you don't have a social media platform or a, a an author platform right now. I strongly suggest working on it and, and, and strengthening that up. Uh, some of our mo more successful authors have been successful just because they had 20,000 followers on a platform and they were able to email out saying, Hey, my book is out. And we were able to get orders from that. Um, so it's definitely helpful if you're silent on platform. You're going to have a tough time, not just with us, but with most agents and therefore other publishers. Yeah, that is, that is the truth of it. It's the truth of it. It is what it is. Well, uh, I've been talking with Sue Arroyo, founder of CamCat Books. Sue, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you, Colin, for reaching out. I really appreciate it. Sweet.